Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify global leaders who are creating impact. We humanize our role models and curate a culture of vulnerability and belonging. This is a show designed to innovate, empower, and ignite. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Woman Tech Show. I'm so excited because today we're going to hang out in space with Lisa Callahan, who is the Vice President and General Manager of the Commercial Civil Space Line of Business for Lockheed Martin Space. In this role, she's responsible for all aspects of execution and growth for commercial and civil markets in human and robotic deep space exploration, communications, weather, and remote sensing. Ms. Callahan is also responsible for McLeod Operations and Related Activity at Stennis Space Center. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I'm really excited. I'm excited, too. You know, you were one of our keynote speakers, so we could say that you're officially a Wonder Woman Tech alumni. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I had a great time there as well. So, first of all, commercial civil space, what exactly is that? So at Lockheed Martin, we build spacecraft that basically explore our solar system. So currently we have had spacecraft that we've built that explored every planet in our solar system. Um, Those are robotic spacecraft. We are also building Orion, which is a spacecraft that's going to take humans to the moon and eventually onto Mars. So Orion is a deep space spacecraft. And then on the commercial side, we build um, commercial communication satellites that basically provide bandwidth and uh, telecommunications to the world. Um, And then lastly, we also build remote sensing satellites and weather satellites. So right now across the United States, there's two satellites that are on orbit protecting life and property, looking at the east and the west coast of the United States, helping forecasters to predict severe storms like the hurricanes, as well as tornadic activity that we might have in the Midwest. One side effect of those satellites that we didn't design for but have realized is that they also detect wildfire. So we are actually able to detect fires up to just a quarter acre. And in some cases, I've been told by fire departments that we, our satellites, have detected fires before they're even called in. So you can imagine combining that with weather and winds can really help to protect the property and lives. Oh my gosh, like I'm absolutely blown away. I had no idea you guys did all of those things that are so vital for like our humanity and livelihood. And first of all, can I just like shadow you at work? I I mean, I am so much in love with everything you just said. You know, when I was little, I used to stare at the sky and imagine what was going on in the solar system. And I am passionate about solar weather. I subscribe to the sky tonight and solar weather and pay attention to the solar storms. And I'm just obsessed with that stuff. So I'm loving this. I mean, you were working with the U.S. Navy. And so how did that come about? 
Yeah, so when I started my career, I was working for Lockheed Martin on a program that was building fast attack submarines for the U.S. Navy, and I was in the integration and test lab, so that's kind of where the whole system comes together. We do the final testing to make sure that functionally, you know, we meet the requirements of the system. But one of the things I got to do early in my career, which was really awesome, is we supported the testing that the U.S. Navy was doing on board the submarine. So I spent five days on board a fast attack submarine. Um, as the only woman on board the submarine, which was an interesting event into itself. But it really opened my eyes very early in my career to how important it is to understand how the user of our systems is going to use those systems. You know, all I had when I was working in the lab was a set of requirements and I didn't realize which requirements were the most important to the Navy to protect their lives and to help them do the job that they do to protect our lives. And when I spent time on board, it was very quickly obvious to me that things I felt were important, they didn't use very often. And the things that were critically important to them, I didn't realize their importance. And so that's something that stuck with me throughout my career. Mm. We really need to understand how people are going to use what we're developing as engineers and, and make sure that we understand their environments and what they're doing. As you might imagine, a fast attack submarine is really cramped quarters, so there's not a lot of room for them to get in and maintain the equipment. And so knowing all of that early on, I think, has really helped me throughout my career, and then I've tried to teach that to others and make sure that my team understands how do our users, how are end customers going to use a system, and are we giving them something that's really of value to them? Yeah, there's something to be said for really understanding the end user when designing something it's so important. And I think early inventions, you know, where when the seatbelt was first created, you know, things of that nature, they didn't think about smaller framed bodies for women and things of that nature. So I, I am always fascinated by engineers and how they build and how they design and what their considerations are. And I do find that women are increasingly more apt to design holistically. And I think it's a a trait that I feel is important when leading teams, you know, when leading engineering teams. So I'm excited that you're at the helm there. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I imagine you are in the ultimate male environment. I mean, you are in the defense industry. I'm sure you've encountered your share of challenges as an executive woman in defense. Can you share with us some of these challenges and and how have you navigated through them? Yeah, I would just start by saying it is so much better than when I first started my career. Yeah. Things have improved dramatically, but you know, um, it just turns out that I grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly boys. So I was kind of used to being around boys. I was a bit of a tomboy myself, right? I would play sports with them and interact with them on a constant basis. So for me, coming into what was a male dominated kind of industry or even in college, which was pretty, you know, I was a very small percentage were women in, in my engineering school. And that was like normal for me. Like I was just used to that. But I did run into um, throughout my career some, you know, what I'll say a bit of unconscious and, and quite honestly, sometimes very conscious bias of the fact that I was a woman. You know, I remember when I would be with a coworker and they would introduce me to a friend or a, another acquaintance that they had as the boss, the 
eyebrow raising that I would get from the male counterpart across the table, like, oh, she's the boss. Um, (laughs) Or I remember I was a program lead for a program that was a competition that we had just won. And one of my competitors came up to me and literally told me that the only reason we won, because they had the same solution that we had, was because of my legs. What? Honestly, that's a, a true story. Um, or uh, a very high executive once told me at a formal event where I was wearing a long gown that if I wore that dress, then they would have to award to us. Um, I was, uh, you know, those are the moments where your jaw hits the ground and you're not quite sure how to respond. And for me, I always took those as challenges, like, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. And I used it to just motivate myself. I would say, though, in hindsight, um, as a woman and as a leader in those situations, and those were earlier in my career, it changed my take on it now. But, you know, I let it flow off my back. And as I said, I used it to motivate me. I think I missed an opportunity for women at that point because I really should have stood my ground and should have told them that that was unacceptable, right? And then I think I would have been helping to pave the way for future women. And so I do that today more so, but I wish I had thought about that earlier in my career. Well, that's, you know, that's honest. And and I think I've heard that before um, from some of our leaders who who have felt that way, you know, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, experiencing this blatant, you know, sexual harassment, discrimination, and feeling like they missed an opportunity to be that activist and pave the way. But I think it's difficult, you know, when you're in the experience and you don't have a lot of other experiences to base that off of, and you are outnumbered, you know, and it wasn't, it's not like you have these movements that are present today where it's so in front of your face that this is wrong and so I think one don't be hard on yourself we love you um and you're still a leader you're still paving the way and I think you know too there are always learned opportunities where we can be able to look back and say you know that was not okay and I want to make sure it never happens you know to the future generation so Today, I'm going to take a stand. And you definitely do that. I mean, just being of service to organizations like Wonder Women Tech, we see you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Well, no, and I think you're making a good point. I mean, that's why I think it is important to get out and share with women some of those experiences. And, you know, I want to be honest about how I handled it and how I could have done it differently. Uh, You know, I have a daughter who's 23 years old and she wants to be a doctor. And I've spent you know, most of her life when she got old enough to really understand what I was talking about, I share with her some of the challenges that I have or some of the doubts that I sometimes have in my own capabilities and how I've thought through that and how I've overcome those doubts to be able to get to where I am. And I do it deliberately because I want her and I do this with my mentees as well, because I want them to know they're not alone. And that when they do doubt themselves, I mean, she's going to go into a challenging career as a doctor. It's not easy to become a doctor. And as a woman in that field, I think she's going to have these hurdles to overcome as well. And I just want her to know that she can do it and that it's okay to feel the way she does and to have some self-doubt, but to also know that she's just as capable as anyone else in making her dreams come true. Aww. I mean, I can almost end the podcast on that note, but we've still got so much more conversation to have. (laughs) So let's take a break. We're going to enjoy this pioneering women in history segment, and we'll be back with Lisa Callahan. And now it's time for today's pioneering women segment. 
Today's pioneering woman is Ada Lovelace. Ada Lovelace was an English mathematician and is considered to be the very first computer programmer. From 1842 to 1843, Lovelace translated Italian mathematician Luigi Menabrea's article on Charles Babbage's newest proposed machine, the analytical engine. Through her extensive notes, Lovelace discovered that a computer could follow a sequence of instructions, which was then classified as a program. At the age of 36, she died of uterine cancer on November 27, 1852, in London, England. Although the engine was never completed and her program was never tested, it is thought to be the first published algorithm ever specifically tailored for implementation on a computer. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Ada Lovelace. Welcome back, innovators. We're here with Lisa Callahan, hanging out in space. We're talking about what it's like to be an executive in the defense industry. It's been so fun, but now we're going to change the channel. We forget that leaders need support too. You know, you're holding space for everyone. You're taking everyone else's considerations on. You're having to find solutions for not just your company, but for them as well. So how do you create balance for yourself? Yeah, you know, I would say I'm really fortunate, right? I have two children. Both of them are adults now, right? One's 23 and one's 21. So I am not dealing with the same balancing act that some of the other leaders are. So I actually look at this environment and I feel guilty, right? Because there's a lot of positives for me. Yes, I have more things to deal with that are around the leadership front and helping the teams, but I used to travel pretty much every week. So the fact that I can spend time at home means I have more time to exercise, more time to eat right, and actually be taking care of myself better than maybe I am when I'm on the road constantly. So I'm using that to sort of generate energy to help um, solve problems and help with the rest of the team because I just feel so fortunate for my situation. And I know the situations for others are so dramatically different. So really trying to hear them out and try to help remove those roadblocks wherever we can and using the fact that I have more time because I'm not on the road as much to try to benefit in that. Yeah, I mean, that's and I love your authenticity. I I just appreciate it so much. So, I mean, you clearly sound like an amazing person. And I hear that you have rescued and rehomed over 400 dogs. Yeah. 400. Like when I read that, I was like, wait, what? Not not four dogs, 400, a small village. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. When, when I was living in Virginia and my children were in middle school, they had to do some community service work. And there was a rescue in the Virginia area that would bring dogs to the local pet stores for adoption. And they needed volunteers to come out and walk the dogs around the store for about three hours during their adoption events to help them get adopted. And my daughter was the first to do that. And after a couple of weeks of um, volunteering, I started to notice similar people week after week there. And I was talking with them a little bit more and they were actually fosters of the dogs that they were walking around and they said that the foster dogs get adopted the fastest and so of course my daughter was like mom let's foster a dog (laughs) so after we twisted my husband's arm and convinced him it would be okay we wouldn't adopt them all he allowed us to start fostering and when I put in the foster application I immediately got a call and said well what do you think 
think about fostering a litter of puppies instead of just a dog? And I was like, what? And they're like, well, they're the first to be euthanized in a shelter because they're not vaccinated and they can get sick and they would die. So they euthanize pregnant dogs and, pl- and puppies first, which was just like all I needed to hear to say, sign me up. I know, right? <laughs> like what, what make, you would be looked at as the world's worst person if you said no, no thanks. I know. You, so please I, euthanize them. <laughs> what? We started fostering moms with young puppies. But I have to say, if it wasn't for my husband and my family, I wouldn't be able to do it because, you know, when I'm traveling or I'm at work, the duties all rest on their shoulders and they're willing to take that on too. So I used to say that my husband just appeased my passion for dogs and fostering. Um, I think he's starting to like it a little bit himself too. Well, I mean, 400 dogs later, he has to like it if he doesn't like it. I don't know what's wrong with him. You can't tolerate 400 dogs. You know, you're you're over here building satellites, and he's fostering puppies. I think that's so cute. <laughs> so, Lisa, this show really celebrates vulnerability. I think vulnerability is a strength and that authenticity, and you've already demonstrated such vulnerable moments today. I'd love you to share something with us that you've never shared with anyone before. I honestly can't think of anything other than to tell you that I think it's so incredibly important to be honest and humble and to share your concerns and how you've overcome them. I mean, I think as a woman, that's something I feel a responsibility to do, particularly with other women or minorities, to help them understand they're not alone and to be a listener and hear them out. I mean, even when I had my first child, I I had no idea what I was doing. I kept looking for an instruction book and there was nothing, right? There were all these books about the first year and they contradicted each other. And um, (laughs) the only way I survived was through, um, you know, playgroups that I had and listening to other mothers and understanding that, you know, what I was experiencing with my daughter was not different from what anybody else was doing. And I think it's so important that we share with each other. I think we have to be honest. We have to tell people that everything isn't always rosy and that you know, we should celebrate when we are happy. But at the same time, you need to communicate when things are, are struggles for us, right? Because they may have an idea that would help us. And we may just have saved somebody else by helping them to understand they're not alone. So authenticity has always been something that I feel so strongly about. And so I am pretty much an open book. I share with people when I've failed, when I've not done what I could have done differently. And um, and then I celebrate the successes when I've learned from that and rise to new levels because of it. I think that's a beautiful way to answer the question. You know, I think it just reinforces how important it is to be vulnerable, to be authentic, to share. And that is the goal of this podcast is to kind of get underneath, you know, like, yes, we want to hear about your career journey, but more importantly, we want to know who you are as a human. We want to get underneath because we want to relate. We want to feel like we can become anyone. You know, we can be a VP of engineering. We can, you know, be an astronaut if we want to be an astronaut. So it's just so important. You know, Lisa, given everything that you've experienced in life, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why? I have to admit, I didn't necessarily plan it that way, at least not from the start. But I did take the road less traveled in a lot of cases. I went into areas that wasn't the mainstream of where our organization was or a program that people wanted to be on. 
I moved around a lot in my career, and I think that's been a benefit to me. I know because of taking the road less traveled, I had opportunities to do things that I wouldn't have gotten to do in an organization that was much bigger because there was a lot of people on a program or a lot of people in that particular area. And so I always offer to my mentees and to people when I, they ask about career advice to not be afraid to take risks, to not be afraid to do things in areas that maybe others are shying away from. Yeah. Because the reward there, yeah, it's a little bit riskier, but the reward is so much bigger than the risks that you're taking, at least in my experience. So I would take the road less traveled, personally. Well, I love that, Lisa. I definitely can see where you've journeyed in your life and it's really inspiring. And I'm so humbled that you've taken the time with us today and your busy schedule to be here with us and share such beautiful words of wisdom. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with you. Thank you so much for well, being thank here. Thank you, Lisa. I've enjoyed the conversation. You're a wonderful interviewer. And I just want to tell you, I had a smile on my face through the whole thing. You reminded me of all of the positives. Um, that, that life, you know, even even while we're struggling, I always try to find the silver lining in every situation. And it's not always easy. And it's not the first thing that comes to mind. But spending time to find the silver lining, I found is a way to keep me optimistic and to find things that are the positives and all the challenges that come in front of us because we all have challenges. No, there's always something that helps us, right? There's always a positive to that. Yeah, it's so true. You know, I love that because like I give myself these pep talks literally out loud. I do talk to myself. I just admitted that on air. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. I'm not alone. (laughs) I literally like Lisa May. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I talked to great. I live alone. So, you know, I don't have children. I'm not married. I have a dog and she's my best friend. And I literally talk to her like she is a person. So a lot of times, like yesterday, I was like, it's okay, Gracie, we're going to get through this. And then I'm like, God, Lisa, when you always talk to yourself, but I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> I don't know. I talk to myself all the time as well as my dogs. And, um, but I think everybody does. That's my belief anyway. <laughs> well, if you're not, if you're not talking to yourself, people, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> take it from lisa and lisa may well lisa it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for everything and innovators until next time when we take the world on one more time thank you